John chapter 12, verses 12 through 33. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. For just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that he is gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that had stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake, amen. Amen. Ever since my love for coffee began, it has been a dream of mine to visit a coffee farm. And I got the opportunity to visit one a couple years ago when Diane and I were missionaries in Nicaragua. And I remember the excitement of driving up the mountain and then getting to the gate and then seeing these beautiful green coffee trees. I was expecting a tour filled with a lot of coffee insights and coffee drinking. 
And as our group were all given their horses to ride through the coffee farm, something unexpected happened. I was given the owner's donkey to ride through the farm. <laughs> what was considered to be a great honor to some, I found it an unexpected disappointment because I was constantly way behind the group. I don't know if you know this, but donkeys are slow and stubborn. The guy actually gave me a whip, and I was just whipping that thing and still could not catch up to the group. I missed all the things that the tour guide had said. <laughs> this was my trip. I left that coffee farm that day with a lot of unmet expectations. And as we consider our passage this morning, it also contains a donkey and some unmet expectations. So remember, all of this is in the context of the fact that Jesus has called Lazarus to come out, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Last week, we looked at the, the different responses that people had to that miracle. Some were angry, and they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Others showed their love and humble devotion to Jesus. And then there was Judas, who was playing the part. He was a hypocrite. In today's passage, we see that more and more people are hearing about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is making Jesus more and more popular. But at the same time, the people who wanted to kill Jesus before are even now more determined to do so. And so the passage that we're reading this morning is all leading to the death of Jesus. Remember, this is his last week on earth. In John's gospel, this passage is the hinge point. The triumphal uh, entry of Jesus and then Jesus's explanation on why he had come and what he was going to do. It's very interesting how this passage moves from praising then to Jesus explaining that the greater response to him is understanding who he is and that we should be committed to him, faithful followers. For those of you who are taking notes, there's three sections that we see in the text that I've separated, separated out. We're going to see the different king. We're going to see the dying seed and then the drawing Savior, the different king, the dying seed, and the drawing Savior. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text is, is this. Our view of who Jesus is and what he has called us to must be shaped by what he has done through his death. I know that's a longer one than we normally have, but it is the main point of the passage. Our view of who Jesus is and what he has called us to must be shaped by what he has done through his death. What we, what we see here is that there's been a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And then Jesus clarifies it, and he also clarifies how his followers, we are to live. Those who believe in Jesus deny themselves for their crucified king. So the first thing we see is the different king. The scene from last week was this quiet dinner with friends in Bethany. 
has now transitioned and shifted into a loud public parade in Jerusalem. John writes in verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This day where Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem is commonly known as Palm Sunday. We're a little behind, right? It's almost like we're going backwards. We already celebrated Easter, um, but this is where we're at in the Gospel of John, um, but commonly known as Palm Sunday. And we have this crowd, this crowd we're not sure how they figured out that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Maybe the disciples went and told people that he was coming. Maybe the Jews who, in verse 9, went to go see Jesus and Lazarus at the party had come to Jerusalem and announced he's coming. But somehow they figured it out. And as Jesus approached the city, this large crowd gathers and starts waving palm branches and crying out the words of Psalm 118, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This psalm was typically sung at the feasts. And here, we're in the Feast of Passover. But it was typically sung by the temple choir. Hosanna means, save us now. The crowd was using phrases that are often associated with the Messiah. But it's not likely that the crowd understood what they were saying. One common mistake, if we look at this passage sometimes, is assuming that the people who are crying out Hosanna and waving these palm branches understand things better than they actually do. The crowd really doesn't know who Jesus is. They believe that he's some earthly king who's going to come and rescue them from the Romans. But as we will see, he is not the king they expect him to be. He's a different king. Back then, palm branches were used like flags. And they were often associated with nationalistic pride. It's very similar to us and how we wave the American flag and sing the Star Spangled Banner when the next candidate that we want to be president shows up. That's the scene that's happening here. The crowd fully expected Jesus to liberate them and drive out the hated Romans. They think this is the long-awaited Messiah, but they have misinterpreted what the Messiah was going to do. Even today, we fall into the same trap, having mistaken ideas of who Jesus is. Sometimes we mix our politics with spirituality, and this can lead to a distorted misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The crowd doesn't understand what type of king Jesus is. But how do we know that they didn't understand? Well, first off, in verse 16, his own disciples didn't understand these things. John says, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and what had been done to him. And also, we know that they don't understand because Jesus corrects them. Later on in, in, in the following verses, by saying, you're going to have to deny yourself and follow me. Do you understand what 
type of king that I really am? Do you understand why I've come? And yet, although they have the wrong idea of what type of king he would be, they're kind of right in the way that they receive him. I mean, they give him praise. They shout, Hosanna, save us. They wave their palm branches. Jesus deserves this type of worship. We should feel excited in our hearts about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. There's nothing in this world that deserves greater praise than Jesus Christ. And yet, we often give more volume to our favorite sports teams. I find it in myself that I'm sometimes more passionate about lesser things. And if you think about it, sometimes a group of people singing happy birthday to someone can drown out a church singing on Sunday. That's a sad thought. May that not be the case here. And I'm not coming down hard on you saying that you're not singing well, because this morning I heard loud voices. But we can all grow. Amen? I, you don't need to be a good singer. You don't need to sing on key. You don't even have to like the song that's being sung. You have to like the one that we're singing to. It's about a heart that recognizes who Jesus is. May our praise be loud and joyful because he is the king and the savior that we need. This crowd had the wrong idea about why Jesus deserves praise. But notice, Jesus doesn't mislead them into thinking that he's going to be that earthly king that they want him to be. He makes this point clear by how he comes into Jerusalem. Look at verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So John, at this point, has come to understand what's going on. But in verse 16, he was one of those who didn't understand. But now he's thinking back, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, now he sees how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. That's why he quotes this passage here. John points us back to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, which talks about this coming righteous king who has salvation, who with humility will bring about peace. He will come lowly, riding on a donkey. This wasn't normal for kings, though. Kings rode on war horses. They came in splendor and majesty. But this isn't the king that the people get. He's a different king. He came lowly, sitting on a donkey, when a leader in those days actually rode into a town on a donkey, it symbolized peaceful intentions. Here we have Jesus, the Prince of Peace. This is not what the people wanted or expected. Think about this. All these people who are showing up, crying out Hosanna with their palm branches, have heard about the miracle that Jesus performed. They saw in Jesus' power something that could get them what they wanted, freedom from Rome. 
They missed what the sign pointed to. He would be the king that they needed, just not the king that they had expected. And then look at the Pharisees' reaction. They're not happy. Speaking better than they realized, kind of like Caiaphas, they say to one another in verse 19, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone out after him. The city is buzzing because of the news that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And most of the people that are praising Jesus are Jewish people that have come up to the Passover feast. But now the Pharisees say, look, the whole world is going out after him. That statement is both an exaggeration, but also kind of a prophecy. There were possibly two million people in Jerusalem at this time, and some of them aren't Jews. Some are Gentiles that are coming up to worship. And in verse 20, we see some that come seeking Jesus. Look at verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip. Maybe they went to Philip because he had a Greek name. We don't really know why they approached Philip. And they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. This leads us to the next section, Jesus, the dying seed. In a sense, the Pharisees were right that the whole world was going after him. These Greeks who came up represented the Gentiles. They came to Philip and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to be brought to him. Most likely, they were in the court of the Gentiles and couldn't get any get past the court into where the court that Jesus was. And so the disciples have to go get Jesus. But they want to see him. That's the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth, that we would see him with the eyes of faith, that we would want to come to him. This is a significant moment in the Gospel of John. Even the Greeks are seeking him. Remember John quoted Zechariah chapter 9? How about you guys turn to Zechariah chapter 9, if you can. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And if you can't, don't feel shame at all. I'm going to read it out loud. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. Here it is. Listen up. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Do you see the picture that John is painting here? Jesus is arriving on a donkey in this humble manner, and he's going to speak peace to who? Just the Jews, the nations. 
Here's the king, the savior of both Jews and Gentiles, whose rule is not only over Jerusalem, but from sea to sea, to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, the people didn't comprehend who he was or what he had come to do. But we know this, Jesus is the savior of the world. And these Greeks symbolically represent the nations, the world seeking its salvation in Jesus. They go to Philip, and it looks like Philip didn't know how to respond. So he goes to Andrew, and Andrew is the disciple that we often see in the Gospel of John who's bringing people to Jesus. So they go, and they tell Jesus, and Jesus' answer is not what we would expect it to be. He doesn't say, great, I would love to see them. What does he say? Instead of coming to see the Greeks, he sees that these Greeks coming to seek him is a sign. It's the climax of his mission. Instead of meeting with the Greeks, he speaks about his coming death. He responds in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if you've been going through this series with us, or if you just read the Gospel of John, that should kind of cause some alarms to go off in your head. Because right at the beginning, of, or many times in this Gospel even, we've seen Jesus say, like, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Right? Chapter, chapter 2, his mother comes to him and says, Jesus, the wine is almost running out at the wedding. Jesus responds to her by saying, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, his brothers say, hey, we're going to go up to the Feast of Booths. Why don't you go up there and show yourself to the world? What does Jesus say? My hour has not yet come. But now here at this Passover, the last Passover, Jesus says, the hour has come. Jesus is going to reveal to the people here what he came to do. He's going to reveal what type of king he truly is. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about his death here. He's talking about himself, what he came to do, what this hour signified. He had to die. And he uses this illustration of a seed. Many of us are going to plant some seeds in our gardens this year, weather permitting. And then some of us are going to be overseeding our, our lawns for a greener, healthier lawn. And yet when we do that, we do that often, we, we do it without thinking of what actually happens with the seed. Right? In order for new life to grow, there has to be death. And so unless, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a grain of wheat. But if it dies, if it's buried in the ground, it produces many seeds. It produces, it bears much fruit. And so the principle here is simple. The seed that falls into the earth, it gives up its life. And out of its husk, new life and appears, and then it bears much fruit. And then ultimately, with, with a lot of rain and a lot of sun, there's a great harvest. 
And now Jesus says, the Son of Man will have to give up his life in death in order for the harvest of the gospel to be reaped in the lives of his people. Eric Alexander has said about this, Jesus explained that the way that it happens in nature is the way that it will happen in grace. The way that it will happen in nature is the way that it will happen in grace. It is only because of Jesus' death on the cross and the place of sinners that we have any hope of salvation. We're not saved by the example of Jesus. Jesus never says that if we only follow his example and try our best, we will find happiness and salvation. No. We're saved because of the death of Jesus. If he hadn't taken our sins upon himself at the cross, there would be no Christianity. There would be no church. You don't understand Jesus unless you understand that he came to die. And I want you to get this. So everyone in this room, children, teenagers, married couples, singles, visitors, people just checking out the church, listen to this. I really want you to understand. I want everyone who has been at this church for a long time or is just visiting, I don't want you to ever walk away and say, well, I just thought Christian, being a Christian was about being a good person. Well, I just thought being, about Christ, being a Christian was about being a good person. That's not the gospel. It's not true. Because if it was about being a good person, then Jesus didn't have to die. This was his singular mission and purpose, to die for sinners like you and me. And that's good news, because he is the Savior and the King that we need. But now, could you imagine being there as Jesus spoke these words? There had been loud shouts and palm branches waving, and then Jesus says this. He's definitely not the king they expected. J.C. Ryle wrote this. Our Lord came to carry a cross, not to wear a crown. He came not to live a life of honor, ease, and magnificence, but to die a shameful and dishonored death. The kingdom he came to set up was to begin with a crucifixion, not a coronation. Its glory was to take its rise, not from victories won by the sword, but from the death of its king. And when he dies... He, like the grain of wheat that is planted, will bear much fruit. So what's that fruit going to be? What is the fruit? Look at, look at it in verse 25. Jesus says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am... There will my servant be also. 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is saying, I came to suffer. And if you're going to have me as king, then you're going to have to be willing to follow a suffering king and suffer with me. You're going to have to hate your life. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that we have to hate who we are or hate the place in life in which we're in. He's using that word to mean self-denial. Because the assumption throughout the Bible is that we already love ourselves. None of us hates ourselves. Even the person who goes around and says, I'm ugly. I'm not good at anything. Nobody likes me. That person loves themselves just in a different way. We all love ourselves. But Jesus tells us to hate ourselves, to deny ourselves. Jesus is calling all who believe to self-denial and humility. He says it another way in a different gospel, to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses daily. For some reason, there's this popular idea today that since God is loving and gracious, a Christian can enjoy God's blessing without, without accepting him as Lord over his or her life. But that is not biblical. You cannot accept Jesus as Savior and then not follow him as Lord. This just means they, they have not died to their own desires They've not been crucified with Jesus. They've not obeyed him. Those who seek to make their lives more comfortable and easy while neglecting Christ, those who seek to gain wealth and power by compromising, will end up losing their lives eternally. Jesus says, if anyone is ever going to serve me, he must follow. He tells us it's a life of suffering. Suffering was the pattern of his dying for us as our Savior. And it's also the pattern for us living as his servants. The only way to find your life is to count it as nothing and give it to Jesus. That sounds all like doom and gloom, doesn't it? That's not what it's about. Hating your life, living a life of self-denial is not a sad and gloomy thing. Don't think that. The sad thing is when you disobey him. That's the sad thing. To obey him is joy. Remember, Jesus said that it was for, or, Jesus didn't say it. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews said this that it was for the joy set before him that our Lord endured the cross. And we can deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily with the same joy, knowing that he has gone to the cross and died for our sins. But before we can follow him in that way, he himself must die and be glorified. So we've seen the different king, the dying seed, and now we're going to see the drawing savior. In verse 27, Jesus turns to his father in prayer, and he says, now is my soul troubled. 
I mean, we're really getting into the inner depths of our Savior here. This is an intimate moment. He says, my soul is troubled. Jesus was troubled not only because he was facing death and physical pain, but because he was facing what it meant to be the sin bearer. He cries, my soul is troubled, knowing what he was going to endure for your and my sin. Knowing what it was going to cost him to redeem his people. And so he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus knew what it was going to cost. And yet he loves us enough. And he loves the glory of his father that he wouldn't let anything get in the way of what he came to do. Jesus was determined to die for our salvation, to save us. But notice that Jesus doesn't give that as his primary reason. Did you see that? His primary reason was to glorify God. And then the Father answers the prayer of Jesus in verse 28. Would have wished to have been there for that one. Father says that he has glorified his name and will do so again. And then the crowd, there's mixed responses. Some people say that it was thunder. Some people said it was an angel speaking to Jesus. And then in verses 31 to 33, Jesus explains what his death on the cross would accomplish. Look at verse 31. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. We see that at the cross, Jesus judges the world. He casts Satan out and he draws people to himself. The cross judges the world. It condemns the world's sin, showing just how awful sin is. Sin is so awful that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could save us from our sins. That's how serious it is. The, the cross also casts out the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world is Satan. And while Jesus' death on the cross looks like a victory for Satan, we know the end. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating death, hell, Satan, and sin. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you want to know what kind of king I am? I am the king that came to conquer Satan and to throw this dark and evil world. Satan is a defeated enemy. My mission is not political salvation. I'm not here to do battle with the Romans, but I'm in Jerusalem to do battle with greater enemies, with Satan, sin, and death. And then he says in verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. There's a lot in that single verse right there. 
When he talks about being lifted up, he's referring to the cross. We know that because of the next verse. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. But also his death is a moment of glory. He's lifted up in glory. And the result of this is that people will be drawn to him. If they need to be drawn to Jesus, that means what? That they have been separated from him. People do not naturally come to Jesus. He is the one who draws them by being lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross to die for sinners, and he is drawing all people, meaning people without distinction, both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. So what kind of king entered Jerusalem in triumph? Well, not the kind of king who would take from his people to benefit himself. Not the type of king who would use his people to protect himself or neglect his people to entertain himself. No, the king who entered Jerusalem is the king who makes himself poor so that his people would be rich. He puts himself between his people and the danger that they face and defends his people at the cost of his own life. That's the king who entered Jerusalem that day. And John writes in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. Listen for key words here. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the end, there will be another great crowd gathered, crying out with loud voices, waving palm branches in celebration of the King, the Lamb of God who has brought about salvation through his death. He is a different king. He's the dying seed and the drawing savior. And so as I close, here's just a couple points of application. When you think about your response to Jesus this morning, is your heart dull? You know, Jesus came in to Jerusalem as the unexpected Savior, and we have all these people shouting for joy, right? So we have one, one, one response there. But then there's another response. There's people who do know who Jesus is, but maybe have forgotten. Maybe you've kind of lost that zeal. This morning, is your heart dull? Because at, at times, it's possible to experience a lack of enthusiasm. Many times, my heart feels dull. And if you find yourself in that state, now is the best time to ask the Lord to revive the passion that you once had when you encountered him. David wrote in the Psalms, revive me according to your word. 
This morning, you're getting a, from God's word, you're getting a better picture of who Jesus is than what the world is trying to tell you or what your, your flesh is trying to tell you. Revive me according to your word. When we go to the word, we get a better picture of who Jesus is. We need to pray that he revives our hearts, our dull hearts. When you think about Jesus and how much you need him, have you reached a point where you can say that you will follow him no matter where he leads you? Jesus is the Savior who suffered for me so that my sins would be forgiven. Am I willing to suffer for the one who suffered for me? There might be a moment when Jesus asks you to endure hardship for him. Remember, he calls us to die to ourselves and take up our cross. And maybe you're here this morning and you've not believed in Jesus. Do you see the kind of king and savior that he is? Do you sense him drawing you to him? If so, come to him. Don't resist anymore. Turn from all the things that might hold you back. Come to him. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've come to Christ, which I know is many of you, remember, it's because he was lifted up. He drew you to himself because he loves you. He has atoned for your sins and he has conquered Satan. Follow him with joy. Our view of who Jesus is and what he has called us to must be shaped by what he has done through his death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ the different king, the dying seed, the drawing savior. We pray that you would work in our hearts and make us willing to follow Jesus even to the point of suffering for him. Make us a people who do not love our life but are willing to lose it that we may gain it. Make us see the kind of king and savior that Jesus is and give us grace to follow him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.